that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. With my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. We've got a great episode coming up for you today. Somebody that, if you don't already know about her, you're going to really want to know about her. And if you do, I'm sure you're a devoted fan. She's been all over the Italian-American community. And uh, Michela Mussolino is going to be a great guest on this show. But first, Pat, we had a great night last night at the Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner. Really wonderful Italian-American event, wasn't it? I have to say that my two favorite New York events if I could give them away. Wow. Are the Italian-American Welfare League luncheon and the Italian-American baseball dinner in New York. Why? That's a great question. Why? Um, Can I I answer as far as the Baseball Hall of Fame where we were last night? Baseball Foundation, yeah. Foundation. Pardon me, Foundation. Yeah. Um, The authenticity of it. Tell me what you mean. It's authentic in, um, number one, they serve tripe. Yes, they do. They sure do, yeah. Right? And I'll go anywhere where they serve. And the tripe is good. Yeah. Because they make the tripe with the tomato sauce and the carrots and the and the celery, right, which I, I like very much. It's basically all Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah. That's your peeps. That's your hood. Yeah, that's my hood. And they love baseball and they love being Italian. And you know, if you weren't there, they'd have the party anyway. Yeah. Does yeah, that make true. sense? That's hard yeah, to it's, explain. It's pe- everybody really enjoys it. Yeah, it's a very, very enjoyable night. And I have to say that those guys just do an outstanding job. Yeah, we're going to get them on here at some point. The Italian-American Baseball Foundation, Joe Q and Carmine and all the guys there, they have done such a great job because, you know, I, I think if we have baseball fans out in the audience, they're aware for like, I think since 2006, if I recall, I was I was there for the first one. The major leagues have sponsored this World Baseball Classic and Italy which is considered one of the European countries with the best baseball tradition, has been in it every four years they've had it. And now, Italian American Baseball Foundation is, you know, they do scholarships for student-athletes, Italian-Americans. They help Italian-Americans get their dual citizenship to play for Team Italy. Um, they do stuff in the major leagues. Mike Piazza, who's managing Team Italy, is uh, hugely involved. I mean, I was, I'm was i so impressed with that dinner because the guys and women that they honor, the executives from Major League Baseball from different teams, past athletes, current athletes, they actually come back and they they, they so love the organization and the cause that they come back and they participate. So the night, you you see the same people, like they add every year to this list of, you know, baseball greats. And it's a very classy night. It is, right? It's a very down. It's, it's, I think the reason why I always enjoy going is it's like a combination of a neighborhood feel. With a very high-end, classy, passionate event. Yeah, I had it's a just, lot of fun. It's just, yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. Mike Piazza is a class act. Ah, oh, one of the best if in the people, world. I mean, if you guys have not met him, he is the nicest guy. And that's what was the great thing last night. Everybody they honored. Who is the gentleman who's Danny Aiello's nephew? That's Michael Kay, the voice of the Yankees. He was fantastic. Who was the gentleman who went to, who, um, the other gentleman, I think, from somewhere in Massachusetts. I'm not a baseball person. That's why I don't know. Who. I Mike mean, you Pagley should, Rulo. Yeah, yep. you know. Yep. Everybody was nicer than the other. Yeah. They they were enjoyable to hear. You know why they, you know, I'll tell you why I think I like it so much. Most Italian events you go to become like a um a hagiography, a panegyric. Yeah. You know, my, and it's my, I had a Italian guy from Italian off the boat, friend of mine used to make this joke all the time. 
said, oh, I go to Yudin. Everybody say, I have her. My mother was a saint. You know, my father worked two jobs. It's the same story. You know, I worked so hard. I started from nothing. Their anecdotes at that event last night, which is so, they're fun anecdotes. An yeah. Anecdotes. Anecdotes. Yeah. My own broken English. Anecdotes. <laughs> the anecdotes last night are just, um, they were enjoyable. It's the kind of event you didn't feel like going home. Yeah. And I don't want people to think I'm blowing sunshine because there's plenty of events John and I chop up behind the scenes. I mean, we don't say publicly. <laughs> it's, not like we, it's not like you invite us and we canonize you. <laughs> but th this, it was, yeah, they were great people. It's just a, it's a great organization. It's a great event. It's, and, it's, and, it's nice to be around nice people. It now is that, nice to be around This nice COVID people. thing is kind of sunsetting, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. You know, yeah. but all luck, it'll come back tomorrow if they yep. make that comment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, this it's, is a nice event. Nice, nice people, classy people, beautiful event. They do a great job. Um, Don't try to go next year because they sell out of tickets and don't get mine. Yeah, that's very true. They right? sell out. So stay home. Yeah. They sell out every year because that'll be my loss. They had like almost 300 people. They, they, they're way outgrown the space, but the venue's so nice. It's, it's just a great night. It was really nice. I didn't have to pay because I was at your uncle's table. That's true. My uncle's so a, a thank supporter. a thank you to your uncle. Yeah, my uncle Frank is a uh, Uncle Frank and Ian Lucio. Thank yeah. you very much because it was even more enjoyable on your dime than mine. So I thank you publicly <laughs> for that. My uncle's great because he uh, he supports everything in the community. He's really into this stuff. He's a member of every group. And when I was at NIAF, he was a member of our. I mean, he just he loves the community and he's super active. And your cousins are fun. It was a very fun table. Yeah, it was a good night. It was. But you no, know I mean, what? But you know what? Why? It's that tripe. It was so good. <laughs> that is, you know, I had to funny. go hunt it out. Oh, the best thing. They had a, what was it, like a roasted pork? See, a I didn't whole get any oh. of this. There's so it's... many people come to this that I know. Yeah, it is so like being with an extended family. Like between people I know from the neighborhood, people from the community. I saw Angelo Vivolo. I saw Mike Fava from DeCheco. We have people that I don't get to see that much anymore. Yeah, so Mike Fava was there. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, so like I made my way. I got there, met my uncle. My cousin came. I made my way towards the bar to get a drink and some tripe, and, and I didn't get a bite. I, did, I got I got a glass of wine that was happened to be handed out, and that was it. So by the time I by the time we sat down, I hadn't even made my way over to the buffet, but it's a good buffet. Please don't talk to me at a cocktail hour. <laughs> if I working. have never met you, I can wait an hour, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Or you, don't come up and say I haven't. That's the my one hour happiness, right? <laughs> you do love a cocktail. Just hour. leave me alone. Yeah. You see, I got a plate full of food, right? I'm uh, Please. I don't want to talk to you then. I'll talk to you. Any, John knows this. I'll talk to any listener, anyone. I'll talk to a lamppost. I'll talk to a wall. I'll talk to a door. I'll talk to people I can't stand, I don't like. But just don't talk to me during the cocktail hour. No. Because no, I got it's... an hour to get it all in without being a pig about the whole thing. I mean, you have to eat, take a break, eat, take a break. And I you should I be had. eating too. But the, not you, John, but the oh, boy yeah, of, of course. you. Whoever's out there, why do you want to talk to me then? You've got to get your money's worth. <laughs> my mother right. and my grandmother would look at your plate and try to calculate, depending on what was going on in the envelope. <laughs> did you, you did get enough? Right. And yeah, correct. You know what was very good? There was a Dominican lady who was a waitress who was working the um, the pig at the cocktail hour, like the big roasted pig. So I think I gained points with her because I told her, and John, no, I only like fatty pieces of meat. I like fatty meat because yeah. fat is where the taste is. Yeah. And and the skin of the pork was nice and crispy. It was like a it was like a porky kind of potato chip. It was fantastic. That's the best. There's nothing like so a roast she, pig. She, I said, listen, this is because I'm finicky in the cocktail hour. I'm not just a grazer. I, I, I go for the good stuff. <laughs> That's why I like to case it out ahead of time. 
<laughs> and she loads my plate up with the fatty little pork pieces. And she tells me in Spanish to go to the bar and have the bartender pour lemon juice over. Really? Yeah, like a Dominican thing. So I go up to the bar. And I say, I need lemon juice. He goes, for the pork, she must do this on a selective basis. <laughs> I said, yeah. And he pulled out the kind of lemon juice that you use for cocktails. Yeah. Oh, my God. What is it? It's kind of, maybe there's a little bit of sugar in it. Must be a little bit, yeah. I will never do pork like that again without a lime. Oh, I Get said lemon. Here. I said lemon, didn't I? Oh, lime. It's lime. Yes, yes, yes. It was lime. Uh, Lima, I never Lima, had that yes. in my life. So I had the lime over the the, the piggy. The little fatty piggy with the little piggy skin chips on the side. <laughs> and the Dominican from the piggy station sent me to the Dominican behind the bar to get the lime juice on the pork. That must be the Dominican thing. I never heard of that. Right. And don't talk. That's what I'm saying is that the people always go to talk to me just when I'm going to put that little fatty piece of piggy in my mouth. You know, I noticed like I, I spent a lot of time at Mike Piazza over the years. I met him through my time at the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. He came down to NIAF when I was there. He just he shows up for everything. Mike's the best. And obviously he's managing Team Italy this year in the upcoming World Baseball Classic in March. And, you know, this is an intimate event. Mike is in the middle of everything. And uh, I've never seen a guy with more, talk about being, like, approached, more patience to take pictures, sign autographs, meet everybody. He, I don't know how he got a bite of food in his mouth. He is, like, the kindest. He's the uh, nicest guy. Yeah, he yeah, really is. Yeah. He and really John is. and I have been over his house and stuff like one on one. He's the nicest guy. It's not a show. No, no, he's really not genuine. Yeah. He's got that classy Sicilian. Uh... Here we go again. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it's like, ha ha. Now it's well, like a joke. Now. Come on. You, you arranged you have another for, one here. You arranged yeah, for correct. your outnumbered status today because you. Uh, Why you does set... it have to be outnumbered? Why can't we all be Italians? We we are. We are. Nah, well, nah, no, no. You're, you're all selectively Italians. You switch that <laughs> switch on and off. Well, today I'm going to wear my Sicilian hat. Well, of course. Well, well, you ever take it off? Well, you know, it depends on the situation. You're out of the closet. You you are on fire to Sicily. Yeah, you know, you set this interview up today, right? This is your doing, and and deservedly so. Well, you got to be nice to her, because even though she's from Jersey, she's from Sicilian. (laughs) That's absolutely right. Now, she was like anything else from Jersey. She's she's not just from Jersey. She is a passionate Sicilian-American. Michele Mussolino is a singer, performer, historian, educator, really advocate, um, I, I the titles I, I can't even list enough of what this lady does for Italian American heritage for Southern Italian song Sicilian song and and really roots music throughout the world the idea of the music that we identify with so Michele Muslino welcome to the Italian American podcast really really happy to finally get to spend some time with you on here thank you John thank you for having me thank you Pat for inviting me too thank you. it's a uh, it's great to be here. Great to be. I've been listening to you guys since your beginning. I remember Pat was sending the word out a couple of years ago. We're going to start this podcast. So uh, this is a real treat for me. I kind of slid into somebody else's podcast. That's true. <laughs> right? It's a good way to do it. Boris and Anthony had a podcast and John wanted to move in and I came in and now they can't get rid of me. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Oh, really happy to have you. And uh, I was going through my notes. I mean, obviously, we've met a bunch of times. I've, I know what you do. And I was thinking, how do I describe you and what you do? You are beyond a student of music. You're like a vessel for it. You, 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 <laughs> right? you, like, you, you have a, 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 an evangelical mission around music, don't you? I kind of do. I'm kind of like the pat of, of Sicilian folk music, if you think about it. Right? <laughs> That's very true. Wow. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I, it, the expert. Have, I, have I now the, become an adjective? Yes, that's that a, a noun. It's uh, it's, you're a fountain of you. knowledge, Pat. You're a fountain of history. You know all this history and this, this. You know all this anthropology, really. 
Come on, yeah. Pat. I mean, really. That, that's the first time I want to put a marker on the first episode ever that somebody said, I am the Pat of X. And and we all know what that means. And the audience <laughs> knows what that means, too. I so. really don't know what that means. But <laughs> it means the expert. I'm, the I'm, font. Glad, I'm glad you're going to be me. I have more people should be me. I want those pork rinds. That's <laughs> you know the only way you could be me. I have to test you at a cocktail hour. <laughs> well, I don't talk. Well, gonna I'm not going to talk to you at a cocktail. No, hour, that's good. But so... I want to watch you. <laughs> I'm going to see if you talk to people, and I'm going to see, like, for instance, you can't have cheap stuff on the plate. That was my grandmother, my mother's big rule. Listen, you can't, you can't get grilled zucchini because that doesn't. You got to get lobster. Pat, let me explain something. On Sunday, I have to be down uh, near New Orleans for a special event and also a filmed interview. And my daughter is actually going to be the cameraman. She's going to be filming it. She's a videographer. We're already planning how we're going to arrange our handbags. And we're already planning on getting like doggy bags to take food home. So you have to, you're dealing with professionals. here. If you got plastic bags in the purse, you are, you are a one, a professional at Italian American event, uh, you, but you're, you're in Memphis, Tennessee, right? I mean, I moved to Memphis a year ago. I escaped the Northeast. Pat's still angry at me for doing that, but um, yeah, no it, was, kidding. it was survival. Um, and I'm I'm a southerner, and it's it's beautiful. Oh, you are not, please. Mem- let me tell you there. something, Pat. You're, let me tell you something. You're a southerner, like I'm a Martian. Okay, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. When I got down here, it really felt like home. And I I mean, I didn't know anything about this place before I moved here. It was literally like, let's get out of Dodge, and where are we going? And you know, a musician I knew said, so why don't you think about Memphis? There's a lot of musicians there, and. Um, it, there's so much here that is like Sicily. There's, there's a lot of, and I thought it was just my imagination. I heard but it I, all now. No further questions, no. Your Honor. Are you telling me Memphis is just like Sicily? I've talked to other Sicilians that are down here that have come from Sicily, and they find that too. And one of my friends defined this very well. She actually moved. She was a New Jersey girl, but her family comes from Puglia. And she moved to, she's another one involved, but she's in the dance end of the traditions, and she uh, has gone back and forth a lot between the U.S. and Italy for dance. And she and her family moved down to, she and her husband and her son moved down to North Carolina a few years ago. So when I moved to Memphis, she was really surprised because she said, all these years we talked about you moving to North Carolina, you're Memphis. And I told her how much I loved it and how I felt so comfortable. And I talked about the people and the experience I had there. And she said, because we're in the South, at our most fundamental we are Southerners or Southern Italian, and we feel home here in the South. And it shows it's a Southern thing. And I have to say, it feels like that. It really does. Who knew? I was in Memphis for the Italian-American community there. They have, like, their big festival every year. I guess it's in the spring, maybe, if I recall. Or... No, it's in. I think it's in June. June. May, or, okay. May or June. You might be yeah. like, yeah, like it, summer. Yeah. Like, it wasn't boiling hot, so it was, it was nice. Everybody was outside. And I was so pleased to see such a big community it's been there such a long time and that's a whole another episode and, and really an episode we have to do next may or june uh, for greetings from italian america for the video series but i go down south a lot i love new orleans i like memphis uh, i go to nashville sometimes i just i happen to like the south and i was in italy with dolores and this influencer um this uh, homesteader shay elliott and her family and her husband's family's from georgia and you know we were going through sicily for two weeks with them and getting to know each other, and I started to dig in with him a little bit about some of the new academia surrounding the similarities between the Italian South and the American South, and particularly in the time of Civil War slash Italian Risorgimento and, you know, the more sort of traditional agrarian hierarchical societies in the South and 
they get invaded by armies from the north. I mean, it's just there are a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of yeah. a lot of writing now being done. There was even a New York Times article called "Italy's Italy's Lost Cause." Listen, I know, I know this stuff is legal now. I just hope you're not in babying. No, I'm serious. It's it's very interesting to me. I find it really fascinating because if you think about it, the South prior to 1860 and 1865 in both countries was a much more hierarchical agrarian society. Southern Italy had the remnants of feudalism only only really done away with under Marat, 1810, 12, whatever. Um, the Southern U.S. had a, obviously its original sin of slavery and a system of plantation-based agriculture like in southern italy it's just there are a lot of similarities to it and there's a great book on the history of the american civil war from a foreign perspective that talks about the 1848 to 1865 global period where in many ways it was the sort of traditionalist societies in places meeting up against the booming industrial societies you know the north in these cases and it just fascinates me there's a lot of overlay there really is yeah and that's the period that 1848 those years you talked about, that's when revolution broke out everywhere. And it started in Europe. In it started Sicily. in Sicily. <laughs> the good and the bad. The world's yeah. going to break out in, in crazy uh, a revolution. Might as well start with us, too. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I want to talk about Sicilian music together because you are the pad of Sicilian music. But I also want to talk a little bit about that heritage and how much of Sicilian history, even now, is being reassessed through music. You know, you you do a lot of stuff around the 10-year period that Italian historians still call brigandage, but many are re-examining as a kind of undeclared civil war in the south of Italy. Um, A lot of these... Brigands, as they'd be called in historical terms, nowadays a lot of people call them freedom fighters, go up into the mountains to resist the Savoys. I have records of family members of my own who who went up into the mountains in Basilicata and Campania and resisted. Tell us a little bit about the lessons in history that come from a lot of this music and and how much of it is, is stuff that's been passed down over generations and you're reinterpreting. How much of it is stuff that's being written now to to look back in, in a new light on the history? It's, it's great that you brought this question up because this, I just did like a whole bunch of fact-finding mission to validate all these things. I think because I, I like to always, when I talk about Sicilian music, I always mention that a lot of these traditions date back to antiquity, There's a, but there is a continuous line. And we're finding out, and it's not just, it's just not, not just recent history, but um, what's happening is modern historians are drawing this connection and we have sicily probably has the most well-documented musical tradition in all of italy really yeah in all of the if you're going to look at folk traditions anywhere in the peninsula sicily we probably have the most well-documented and this goes back to antiquity we have i mean you can go into 420 bc we have the first parchment of a, a, a song one an ode by pindaro um, when he was living in Sicily, 
um, three in the th early 300s BC, we're still BC, you have Timaeus, the Sicilian historian, was talking about music rituals and dance rituals. Um, so, you know, we have documentation, the, the first barbershop or the first mention of the barbershop as a, as a source of music, um, 1491. Wow was the first documentation. So, and and Sicily has an amazing tradition of ethnomusicology and research. So what's your find, what you're finding now is these modern uh, folklorists and historians and musicologists are just pushing out into the public these, these documentation that we have. And I like to tell people, and I tell this at my shows all the time, that, you know, music is a great way to learn about the soul of the people. You know, it's not just, we're not just singing, a, when I'm up there, I'm not just singing a song. I'm telling you a whole, um, a whole history of, of something that's happened. Uh, and the music, you know, with each song that we sing, uh, with each performance, you can paint these, this history and it's a, it's a living history. It's a, a history that's continuing to this day. So I don't know, did that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking too of like a lot of the young artists in circles like yours in, in Sicily in the south of Italy, in, in Italy in general, that are writing songs re-examining history, right? Because so much of Italian history has been taught in a complicated way for many generations, mm -hmm. particularly the difficulties around the unification of Italy, like every country, right? We're all re-examining the ills of our history and trying to explore them in new ways. And it's an often uncomfortable thing to do. We're experiencing it here in the United States with all this stuff about the 1619 Project and, you know, how do you integrate all of these ethnic groups that haven't been taught in classroom histories. I mean, it's a, it's a complex, delicate subject. And I'm noticing in Italy, I don't know what goes on in the classrooms from a curriculum level, but I'm noticing a lot of young people are taking a fresh look and a new examination of, of history, particularly Southern history, in song. And so you get a lot of these songs about the brigands and these concept albums that are being done to share the history. And are you seeing a lot of that? Yeah, you know, you have to two things that really I would think led to this happening today. Um, you had the groups like NCCP in the 1970s. When you had that very modern folk music revival that started in the 1970s, um, and you had people like Eugenio Benato, who was working exactly with this kind of information, with this history of the South, and trying in song, trying to get that history out to the public. Uh, and then it, what is, I, I want to say, was it probably about 10 years ago? When did the book Terrone come out? About 10 years ago? I think more than that now. More or less. That, more yeah, or less. Ma, yeah. That was another major push. When that book came out, that was another major push to get people to say, hey, look, this is the history that, you know, that happened. And keep in mind that even here in the United States, and I, when I go into universities, I mention this to the students. So it's like, I said, don't think that history is being hidden from you. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily being hidden, you know, it's usually it's in plain sight, but are you aware of it? Yeah. You know, for example, like in, and the concept that I'm thinking about is in the book Terrone was the idea of, you know, so many in the South, there's who were their sons named after they were named after the Kings. And it's like, wait a minute, we didn't hate the Kings. We loved our King. We loved our bourbon Kings. Like what we named our children after them, even generations after they ruled like, yeah. Why did we have that tradition? You know, so there, there must be a reason, you know. So the history is there. And I see with them, with the young song, and there is a great movement now. Again, there's like every few years, there's another, you know, the next generation kind of discovers folk music. And the cool thing about it is 
with each generation that thinks they're just discovering it and they got to be the ones to save, you know, we got we to gotta save this tradition. They're all uncovering new history. Each one is building on, and, and these, these people are amazing. These young kids are great. They're building on the ones that came before them. So um, there's a constant uh, overturning of new information. And you do see that with the, with the groups. And, um, you know, and it's really easy to say, well, you know, Benanta was doing it back in the 70s. You're not doing anything. No, you're not doing anything new, but you're going to bring something new to it. You're gonna, and that's folk music. That's the importance of folk music is that that song, whatever song they're singing, whether it's something new that was inspired by these traditions they learn or whether it's a reinterpretation of a song that they learned, um, that's folk music. Everybody who performs that song adds something to themselves. That's why singing a folk song is like opening up a history book. Yeah. Because there's so much in there that comes from each person that went before you. So these young groups that are doing this wonderful work, they're carrying this on and they're, and they, and they all take it one step further. Every, every generation pushes it forward again. It's so interesting to me because, you know, I see so much history in song, even within our community, right? Like, you know, we have a community, 20 some odd million people, many of whom do not speak Italian, but listen to, traditional music, I would say, you know, a big chunk of that, the Canzone Napolitana from Naples and Campania. And many people have phonetic understandings of the lyrics in their heads, like they can sing along and, you know, they may know some of it, but then there's the next step to kind of translating it, right? It's like, okay, now I can understand the lyrics, but then there's also the anthropology and sociology behind these songs. Like, I mean, Pat always talks about, what is it, Pat? Osole Mio is written by somebody who was out as a grain merchant in... Uh, yeah, he was a grain merchant in uh, Odessa. Yeah, in Ukraine, In Ukraine. Right? Yeah. And there's so much that history with the idea of what became Ukrainian grain coming into southern Italy and, uh, you know, the heritage varietals that were there and what it meant for the country and how we ate. and that. So there's all this history that comes through these things. Uh, you know, I think about what I always think of as kind of the Italian-American national anthem, in my mind, is Che la Luna Mezzomare. And the more you go into the history of that, it's almost non-regional because it was written, I guess, right? It was written by a Sicilian or a Neapolitan on the way to the other. It was written, supposedly, yeah. it was written by, and again, this is the version that I research, and I'm sure there's people that have other, you know, the history is always, it's always changing. They may, um, Goes back to Lower East Side of Manhattan, uh, Paolo Citorello, who was, is identified as a Sicilian mariner, huh. was an immigrant, Lower East Side, and he's credited with penning the first uh, arranged version of this song. Right. However, two things we know. He got in trouble with um, copyright because it resembles uh, Rossini's La Danza. Right. Now, we know two things. We know he had to get this from tradition because these, there's, there's songs similar to this in Sicilian and Southern Italian folk tradition. This idea, um, the theme, the melodies are very familiar. They're in other versions. But also we know that, you know, Rossini spent time, as they all do, traveling through the South. Um, because if you were anyone of culture in his time, you made what they call the Grand Tour. Right. And these composers, these, these classical composers, all borrowed from folk music. That was how they wrote classical compositions. Handel did it, you know. They all did these things. I believe Liszt did it as well. So did Rossini borrow it from folk tradition? 
Did Chitorello borrow it from Rossini? Did they both borrow it from folk tradition? And then, you know, this thing goes back and forth because there's a version of it in Naples. How did it travel around the south, southern part of Italy? It's, uh, it's not the clearest necessary, it's ne not necessarily the clearest provenance for this song. But it's interesting that we can find, we can pinpoint where it made certain stops along the, um, along the way. So I actually have a fun history with this song. I used to avoid this song when I first started out because I said, come on, guys, you know, it's not the only song we have in our repertoire. It's not the only song in our bag of tricks. Come on. Yeah, sure. But every now and then I got asked to sing it something very private. And I was asked to sing it this, this couple's 50th anniversary party. And they used to have a Sicilian folk group. So I'm like, I can't turn this gig down. This means too much to everybody. And I said, give me a list of the songs they love the most. And that was one of them. So I said, all right, we got to do it. Well, it's just a fun song. You can't not do the song and not love it. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody loves the song. So it, it worked its way into my repertoire. And um, I was actually just at Wake Forest a couple in October. And I was doing a presentation for the students. So it's like a concert slash lecture. And I was having a lot of fun. It was a great group of students, big group, you know, bright, shiny faces, brains like sponges. They want to learn everything. And I was telling them about this song and I didn't give them the title. And I started to trace the provenance of the song. I said, you know, start as a folk song. Then it came here in Lower East Side. Then it went back to, then, you know, the copyright infringement. There was actually copyright infringement trials, I believe, that Chitorella had to go through. Um, Rudy Valley, right. the great band leader in the 19th, had a hit with this thing. Yeah. I said, then, I said, the great Louis Prima had a hit. I said, and not one of you in this audience can tell me you don't know this song. Because if you're on TikTok, you know this song. Yeah, it's true. And at that minute, when I mentioned the TikTok connection, you just saw all these light bulbs go off in the crowd. Like everyone, there was a light bulb over the head of every student in that class. And I said, oh, and, the guy, and some of the guys started singing it. And they're like, oh, no, we know this song. And then I explained to them what it meant. And it was hysterical because these college-age kids couldn't figure out what I was trying to say without coming out and saying it. And there's one lady in the audience. Um, she actually has an Italian blog. She's married to an Italian. She got it. I thought she was a college student. She said, no, she goes, I'm one of the professors. But she looked like a kid. So I was like, <laughs> um, so I, I thought really the kids would pick it up right away with what the song meant. But they it took a little while for it to sink in. So It's so funny because you're absolutely right. Especially for Sicilian music, it becomes like the default, right? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it had, its, it had its time in The Godfather, so it got exposure. And like you say, Louis Prima, Lumanti, so many versions of it. And I tend to, when I travel for my life as a professional Italian-American, I go to events all over the country. And nine out of ten times, if I have a couple of scotches, I end up getting on a microphone and singing with the band because I that reminds me of a family get-together. And I always... Now, as I've traveled to more places, I get asked to sing that because I know all the words and I can lead it. <laughs> and everybody sings along. And I always now make a point to explain to these audiences of, you know, in some cases, second, third, fourth, fifth generation Italian Americans, hey, this is a great song. We sing it at weddings. But do you know, like, you know, it's it's also euphemistic, right? I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a little bit of a naughty song. And if you really know the lyrics. It's a very naughty song. Yeah. It's a very naughty song. It is. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, nowadays compared to what's out there, it's not that bad. But you I know, true. <laughs> I think a lot of people. I'm most amused that people don't catch the song. The innuendos that are in that song. Well, you when I explain it, when I explain them, I, I and I try to be very, very diplomatic, and I I'm not graphic, and people sit there, and usually what happens is. It takes a little while. The crowd goes quiet for a little bit. And then all of a sudden you hear little giggles and, and then it starts like, and then everybody's like, and I said, if you figured it out, just turn to your neighbor and explain it to them. That's what I said. Well, it was all over Instagram. The song. And yeah. I, I said to myself, when I hear it all over Instagram, I'm like, these people have no idea what this lady's talking about. 
<laughs> no, no, definitely. Exactly. I mean, they might not have a problem with yeah. it, but it might. Um... I mean, for for the audience out there that knows Che La Luna Metsumari and uh, has sang it in some capacity or danced to it at a wedding or whatever it is, it, to, I think maybe Mikel, if in your most diplomatic sense, can we give them a little? Um... Here's how it goes. Okay. Yeah. The song is actually a dialogue between a mother and her daughter. And the daughter comes to her mother and says, Mom, Either she says, I want to get married or I have to get married, depending. Depends on the depends on the text of the song. So the mother, because she loves her daughter, the mother does her very best to see that her daughter gets married. The mother decides to bring to her daughter a young man or different young man. But every young man she brings to her daughter comes and goes, and he's always holding in his hand the tool of his employee. Usually half the audience gets it. When they don't, the guys in the band say, okay, give him some examples. So I say, so for example, <laughs> if he's a shoemaker, he comes and he's got he, he he comes and goes with his hammer in his hand. If he's the baker, he comes and goes with his canolo in his hand. Um, if he's the musician, he comes and goes with his guitar in his hand. If he's uh, what's the other one? If he's a cop, um, he has, a, the, has his baston in his hand. Right, right. Yeah. If yeah, he's a fisherman, he's got he his goes, fish. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's correct, the first correct, example. Correct. If he's a fisherman, he's got his fish in his if hand. That's the first he, example. If he's, if he's a janitor, a he's got a fruit, room. Fruit vendor yeah. has fruit vendor. Uh, he's got a chitrul in his hand. Yeah. yeah. So that and that's where that's where they give up the goose. The fruit yeah. vendor is carrying a chitrul, a cucumber. Yeah, fish too. When the fishmonger comes, he's got his fish. That's and the mother keeps asking the daughter if she likes it. If she likes the particular, Michael, you could take it from here. No, I'm not usually the I just the stop mother at that. asked I, if well the I mother know. asks. Um, she said, Who am I gonna bring you? Who am I gonna bring you? Mama me, you think about it. Just, yeah, you, but every time she says I bring to her daughter, if you if you marry a cop, he's gonna always be running around with a um uh baton Night in club, his hand, Billy club, yeah. Billy club in his hand. Yeah. Uh if you marry a, a fireman, he's gonna run around with a hose in his hand. And if a fireman is what you're into, your mother will basically take care of it. Yeah. If a cop is what you're into. You know, so when you think of the Sicilian grandmother and the and covered in black, lighting candles in front of a statue, <laughs> there's more going on there. Well, she says, if this is what if this is what tickles your fan, what she says, if, 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 yeah, if you're into a fireman, after she tells you what the fireman walks around with, yeah, yeah correct. She said, but what actually what in the version I sing, uh, she says, if you're into, let's say, if you're into the fisherman, he's going to be giving you fish all the time. Right. If you're into the baker boy, he's going to be giving you the canola, canola all the time. If you're into the the, the murator, the stonemason, he's going to give you the trowel all the time. Listen, you do whatever you want. It's your people. Yeah. It's your song. <laughs> well, but that's the version I sing. But and also the version I sing, the last verse is really sweet because she says, um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to find your boy. He's going to be beautiful and rich. And all night, all day, he's going to give you kisses. Not to give no, that's what you that's what you added on. No, no I didn't that, write that. That's a I never that's heard that. That's a verse, 27 yeah. years old. I heard that song since I was like four uh, years no, old. No, I've heard I heard it. Yeah, you did you beat Rico e bedda sai e ti voli tanto bene. Not the giorno che chiami per per vasarti e mia. That's that's a Sicilian verse. I've heard uh, what's his name, Motella Profazio. I think he, he's his version includes that and a couple of. I mean, the Italian American ones. I've never, never heard any interpretation. It does the greatest but. version of that the song, the version of that song that tells the whole story. What was his last name? Gennaro. He was an Italian vaudeville performer who was in The Godfather. The old man. 
Yeah, the old man. He was a famous Italian. Well, because you like that because he did the he did the the hand gestures with the hand motions. And the, that's you know, the, why you like. That. And it's not critical in any sense. I, the reason I say it is that I think that's probably how that song started out. Because we've often said this is an Italian American song, right? It came from somewhere in Sicily. I mean, I don't, but I feel that the hand gestures at a wedding it probably is is the anthropological. Oh, 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 I see. What so I'm, I'm not I'm not the reason I like that version so much is I think that that's like the Rosetta Stone of that song. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that makes sense. And I think that's how it's right, because, of course, you have a Sicilian wedding. You got a band in the background. It's in a pre DJ day, you know, and you get your uncle who tells the dirty jokes to get up there and he sings the songs and he makes the hand motions. It's true. I mean, I, that, I think that's how that song started off. Well, you know, this and again, these are things that go back to the other side. You know, we had songs like that on the other side where, you know, this double entendre because you couldn't, you know, our culture there and our culture here up until not that long, you couldn't come out and say these things. You couldn't get away with the lyrics they sing today in a song. And not only that, men and women didn't mix and mingle together in daily life. So when you had a wedding, you could have this little boisterous thing because it was, you know, finally men and women could be together in public. You, you didn't have a public life with the opposite sex. That didn't exist. Your families had to be present. But also what I want to say, one thing I say about, and I have, like I said, in the beginning, when I first started getting up on stage and singing these songs, I felt like, you know, there's so many other songs people need to hear what, you know, they all know that what, but I, through the years, I've come to love it and just have so much fun with it because this song, and I think you, Pat, you called it the Rosetta song. To me, this song is emblematic of the American dream, the, the story of immigration coming. You know, it's a tradition of starting the other side. They brought it here. They made it American. It became Americanized, but it still has the elements of the other side and the traditions and who we were. And now it's become something that's become American. This song's all over TikTok. It was a huge, I mean, it was a TikTok sensation over the summer. That's incredible. That's the story of, of immigration. That's our story. That's Italian American right there. That's the perfect illustration of our culture and our, our trajectory. What amazes me is that that song contemporaneously was sung by Lou Monty and Louis Prima. Mm -hmm. So it had to be all over. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, I think it was the kind of song that you sung at weddings and you didn't record until the two of them did. Yeah, but we had the versions of it. The Butcher Boy, like I said, it was... Um, Frankie Valley, not Frankie, Rudy, Rudy Valley. Valley. Rudy, Rudy Valley, Rudy yeah. Valley. That was in the 1930s or something like that. Yeah, and and and, and, and had yeah. no hint of its Italian... I mean, it, nobody... When he released it, it's all in English, The Butcher Boy yeah. or The Baker Boy. And it's it's similar vein in the story. Yeah. But no ode, not a, one Italian lyric, not any sense that this was a Italian song. He just Americanized it. And they, they mm -hmm. went back. And so that's why, you know, both of their versions have... The English verses and uh, Louis Prima's done multiple versions on recording of it. Sometimes he does the Baker Boy. Lumanti does Lazy Mary, right? Lazy. Yeah, Mary. I, was, I was just gonna say like the Lazy Mary song, and yeah. you know that used to, now. I I had as a child, I had children's music books. They were not even mine from when I was a kid. They belonged to my brother and my sister, who were much older than me, and they had Lazy Mary as one of the songs for kids. Isn't that wild. And, I, and even as a kid, I remember thinking, like, why is this song in here? It's like one of our songs. Like, why is it in this, this songbook of America? It didn't identify as an Italian song. But I remember, it Lazy Mary? That's our song. Like, what, why did they have it, you know? Yeah, I feel the same way. Do, do you know why I think why you had an Italian wedding with a dirty Sicilian song? is because Italians are not against copulation. 
as long as it's producing more Italians. <laughs> Right, but it's, it's like called okay, that's right. No, yeah, but I mean, it's like it's like no, but if you take the, it's called survival. No, but I, I'm saying, like, let's go back to the Godfather. Right, Michael looks at a girl, and it almost starts World War Three. Right, so let's not kid ourselves. Southern Italy was very protective of uh, virtue, shall we say? Well, young married women could not even married women couldn't intermix with men. Exactly, and that kind of stuff wasn't talked about. But the wedding is. Because the Italians are all about the family. Now you're having a couple that's going to produce grandchildren. Yeah, it's true. So they celebrate. They celebrate the conjugal act because yeah, it's kind of like it's a positive. But I think a lot of people don't realize that Italy's all about the conjugal act, especially when, it, when it's making grandchildren. I don't know how this fits into Sicilian folk music, but I'm going to say Pat Cooper used to have a joke about the Italian mother who her her son and her daughter in law live upstairs. And she can hear them in the early days of in the, in the nights of the early days of their marriage. And she would go and burn a candle for the grandchildren to come. Funny you should bring up Pat Cooper because I almost brought him up a few minutes ago. The other day, I found a couple of my old Pat Cooper. They're not even mine. They were like my father and mother's. So I don't know what year they're from. I guess the 60s. And I made my daughter listen to the, the, the Pat Cooper album. And she's like, this is great. Like, why don't we have this anymore? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we have the, the closest thing I think we have now is... Uh... Sebastian Maniscalco yeah. and you know Joe Avati and I mean obviously Joe's in Australia. Joe Avati's awesome. He Joe, is. They're awesome. both awesome. Joe, and he was an amazing guest on the show too. He was so oh, kind wow. and really great to us. But you know, like yeah, Pat Cooper albums or um, I have a couple other ones, uh, other comedians that used to do similar acts and like just like the music, right? Yeah. It's a snapshot in where we are as a community. But and then getting back to to Pat, what you said about, you know, it wasn't simply that they were um, celebrating, you know, the copulation, that copulation. It was survival. Yeah, but I and, mean, the like Italians love kids. I think that's a big do. part of it. Of course they do. But also, and I, and again, this is something I talk about, like in the love songs and stuff. We have that, you know, in, in Italy, you have this, this, especially in Southern, especially in Sicily, this romantic idea of the the young the swain going up to the to the house and calling out to the woman that he loves and she comes and shows herself on the balcony and he sings to her. Well, this is an actual tradition and that came about for survival because the, the Sicilians understood that if you could make a good marriage, you know, if you could arrange for your child to be married into a good family. And, and have a spouse that was healthy and could produce children. Well, your family could continue on to the next generation. You would have somebody to take care of you nice. or, and help protect you when you're invaded. And that's something else that we need to talk about is that, you know, this is a culture that for centuries, millennia, lived with the constant threat of invasion. Yeah. You, and I tell, and, I, and again, I, I tell, especially I tell this to young kids because I think young kids are so disconnected. Young college age children, students are so disconnected from the past and it's frightening. And I want to make sure that they, under, that they have connections because it'll just, it'll help them to go forward to have these connections to the past. And I say, these people came from a culture where you didn't know who was coming over the back fence of your property day to day. Yeah. You didn't know who it was. You didn't know what they wanted. You didn't know if they were going to take your daughter. You didn't know if they were going to take your sons and enslave them and kill your husband and kill your children. You had no idea. And you needed to make strategic alliances. That's why the family is so important in systems of it, because that, that's the only thing that they had that could remain unchanged is your family. Yeah. 
You didn't know who was going to be making your laws tomorrow. You didn't know who was going to be taking your, your property tomorrow, who's going to be taking your crops. You had no idea. And this went on up until modern times. I mean, if you think about it, we still had to worry about the Barbary pirates in the early 1800s. You had the vestiges of feudalism, like you talked about. That was, you know, that we still had the right of first night and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, that went into modern times. Yeah, and into the and into the post reunification era, and this idea of yeah. you know brigands and civil war. I mean, you know, a whole new structure is imposed, and a lot of the the what what was the state and and the you know the state and church relationship is repressed. So yet again, the eighteen sixties, even into the post war era. Think about how yeah. how much uh, resistance music there is in the post war era. And the, the Sicilian independence movement and the end of the Second World War. And, yeah. you know, this is real. This sense that it, you're talking about an island and, and, and a land that's never really governed itself. Yeah. And, you know, and Pat, you said something else about, you said something that they protected their daughters or something. And, and I got to tell you something. I come from that culture where they protected their daughters. And I, I'm one, probably one of the few women that actually, I like that. And I'm proud that I come from that culture. And I had that in my family growing up, that the men took very seriously their role as provider and protector. And it was an honor for them. And I, you know, as I said, growing up, I was very, very, you know, my I was very protected by my dad in that way. And that was a tradition. And it was seen as your role as the provider, as the head of the family. It was your job to take care of the woman and to see that nobody harmed them and a lot of times people like to paint that and, I, and it really burns me up um they like to paint that as like misogyny it's not misogyny it's not at all there's 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 something very honorable there when they want to protect their family um and i think we're losing we, we again you know we look at history when you look at history and again you can hear this in the songs you know look at it through the lens of what they were living through um, and that, you know, that's a tradition that was passed down from father to son. Hey, you know, you're the head of the family. You, you take care of the family. You know, don't dishonor your family. Uh, protect your family. There's a positive side to that tradition, too. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the beauty of a lot of this inherited musical patrimony is that can, it can take you into the psychology. Exactly. And, you know, and, and it's not a it's not a. I mean, even in all of Italy, right? All of Italy has gone through conquest and difficulty and changes in government. And, you know, obviously we're always particular students of the South. But when you don't control the mechanisms of state and you can't dictate what the party line, let's say, is in terms of how your uh, your story is told or your culture is represented, so much of it becomes this collection of folk habits what do you do in the, in private right. that garners enough recognition and enough connectedness with others in your family and then in your kind of you know kinship group and then beyond in your community and becomes a token for all of them and th so there's something really authentic about that and yeah uh, you get the bottom-up history through folk and i think that's really wonderful yeah even like and i and i find this i see this so much in the the love songs and i i, I like to talk about this you know um there's always this like there's a respect too. I mean, so, yes, some of the songs are bawdy. We get that. But in a lot of these love songs, there's such a respect. And it's this hope that, you know, this hope that the, you know, he's, he's putting his heart out there. Is he going to be accepted? Is he going to be good enough to, to win the heart of this woman? Is, is, you know, and it, it could be that her family's behind it too. You know, are they going to allow her to have this match? 
Um, and the song reflects that, you know, there's this, you know, this putting this out there that these are my feelings for you. This is what, you know, this is what I wish for you. And it's usually there's like a lot of like love at a distance, you know? Yeah. Love, um, because that's the only way they could express this. They couldn't go on a date. Love. Yeah. You yeah. go on a date and you, 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 you would hope that she and her family would allow you to go forward with this. You know? So, and you see that in the song and you hear that in the songs too. You hear that that almost like this plaintive desire, but this, this hope, this, this, Oh, can I, am I going to, am I going to win? Am I going to, you know, am I, are they going to pick me? Well, we've spent an hour talking about a few of the songs that we love. And obviously what I think of is a very important one, but we want to spend some more time with you. So I'm going to say, let's take a break here. I'll tell our audience, if you've enjoyed this much of the conversation, there's a lot more to come. We're going to come back in just a minute and uh, bring you part two. But for now, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. No, that's the wrong one. That's how to tell. Yeah, you're doing the wrong one. There we go. 